Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Accepting pets with pet rent, in part, it's about generating as many quality prospective tenants as possible. So I would focus, one, on putting yourself in a position to have the highest quality, largest prospective tenant pool that you can so that you have as many qualified applicants or prospective tenants to choose from. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best Ever listeners, welcome to Cincinnati's Best Ever Real Estate Investor Mastermind. We meet at the Deer Park Community Center on the last Tuesday of every month, year-round. If you are in town on the last Tuesday of every month, you can go to bestevercincy.com to register, get the address, get the time, get the information about our upcoming presentations and speakers, and then we hope to see you here. That link is in the show notes. Quick presentation today from me. And then we're going to go into some property management Q&A. The topic is the top five concerns that prospective tenants have about your apartment. Before I get into the first one, actually, let me say that these are questions that I often have to address with new landlords, new operators, property managers, when they have their first couple of properties. And it's typically after they've acquired it and they've started renting it out and they're coming to me with questions. And they're coming to me with concerns as to why their property isn't renting. Right now, end of November 2023, part of it is seasonal. Part of it is likely also where we are in the market cycle. There are several components of the economy at large that are in recession right now. Home buying, home leasing is in recession right now as well. Year over year statistics, like comparing now to last November, inquiries on apartments are drastically lower than they were last year. And that, I believe, has to do with what's going on in the economy at large. It's the end of November, and you have major toy companies projecting huge year-over-year declines in pre-Christmas sales. And we're experiencing that. That's part of it. But here are five things that you should be considering about 
the apartments that you manage or the homes that you're considering buying because these are major questions that prospective tenants are asking. And the first one is, where am I going to park? We're here in the greater Cincinnati area. We have a very old housing base when it comes to the vast majority of our multifamily, especially our small multifamily, and especially those properties that are represented by the people here in this room, because a lot of it is in the urban core. So a lot of it is 100, 120, 150 years old. And we often neglect the importance of that question, where am I going to park? It's a key factor for a lot of prospective tenants. So a couple of numbers to consider here. One that is very easy to understand why it would be important is do you have more off-street parking spaces than you have apartments? The second would be parking spaces to bedrooms because typically a two-bedroom apartment, for example, or a three- or four-bedroom apartment is going to end up having a multi-car or multi-vehicle tenant. That's going to be a lot more important as you get outside of the urban core because as you get people who want a more urban lifestyle, fewer of them will prioritize having dedicated off-street parking. But it's something to consider for the neighborhoods that you're interested in investing in. It's also something that you should look into with your properties if there's a way to create dedicated parking. The second one, and again, all of these are going to be fairly basic. The second one is where am I going to do my laundry? There are four answers to this question. The best in terms of the prospective tenant is having laundry in the unit, in the apartment, in the house. That is a convenience that a lot of quality tenants will pay a premium for. And you won't necessarily see it because it's not like they are agreeing to a rent bump to have laundry in their unit necessarily, but you'll see that your inquiries are greater and the prospective tenants are more qualified when you have, for example, in-unit laundry in a three-bedroom in a duplex or in a four-family, having that in-unit laundry is helpful. Next best option would be washer-dryer hookups or washer-dryer in the basement of the building. I know the people in the circle here with me are having an easy time visualizing that because you know our housing stock. Third would be coin laundry. Having coin laundry is not only vastly superior to having no laundry, but the vast majority of prospective tenants who would be interested in your property are not even going to call if they see that there's no laundry. And I can't stress this enough. A few of my properties, a couple in particular, are downtown in the West End, just west of Washington Park. There are no laundromats downtown. There's no place to go out and do your laundry. So I have a four-family where there are two nice townhouse units above, and then there are two basement studio apartments below. When I bought the building, those studio apartments did not have any laundry. There are no laundromats anywhere. So what we did was we used the electric from the garbage disposals and the plumbing from the kitchen sink, and we put those under-the-counter European-style two-in-one washer-dryer, ventless, ductless, barely get your clothes washed. There's definitely going to be damp when you're done in the kitchens of those apartments because that meant that we could say that there was laundry. And we explained to everyone, look, it's a ventless, ductless, 120 volt. You can really only do like a couple pairs of clothes at a time, but you do have laundry in your kitchen. And that is absolutely massive in a neighborhood where there is no other option for laundry. So definitely keep that in mind. If you are waffling 
between putting laundry in the basement and not having laundry, put it in the basement. Whatever it is that you can do to improve the laundry doing situation for your tenants, it's going to pan out. Don't necessarily spend 20 grand putting in hookups for an upstairs apartment, but make sure that your tenants have somewhere that they can do laundry. Third, and this is something that a lot of non-local prospective investors miss in the Cincinnati market, is who pays for heat. We can get into all the different ways that apartments and homes are heated and cooled, but a big factor in your finances as the landlord, but also in the tenant's considerations is who's paying for the heat. It would be easy to assume that tenants just want the landlord to pay for the heat because that makes their life more affordable. That's not actually necessarily the case, though, because typically when the landlord is paying for the heat, that means there's one central thermostat, one central heat setting for the multi-unit building, and they don't have control. There are a lot of tenants who would rather have the opportunity to pay for the heat, for the gas running to their furnace, or have electric baseboard heat instead of radiant heat because it gives them the opportunity to control the temperature setting in their apartment. We do this without even thinking about it in our rental listings, that we either say owner paid heat or tenant controlled heat when we list our apartments. We say tenant pays for and controls heat in their unit. Fourth is how is it cooled? Not something we're thinking all that much about right now, end of November. We're wrapping up a 48 hours below freezing cold snap. So a lot of people are thinking about their heating systems at the moment. If you already have forced air, like a gas furnace, for each of your units, then it may be worth considering adding central air. I say this as a person who started an HVAC company last year, there are a lot of times when it does not make sense. And you should be checking your rent comps to see if there's any sort of difference between the air conditioning options and the rents that can be garnered by those competitive apartments or houses. Because whether it's four grand or six or seven grand to add central air, you may not see the return on that because window units or whatever the current air conditioning situation is may actually be good enough. Where I have seen a big difference, not only a monetary difference, but a difference in the tenant quality that you can attract is if it's going to be window units cooling the space, does the landlord provide them or does the tenant have to provide them? I always choose to provide air conditioning for a couple of reasons, but one of them is very specifically sales. I want my rental listings to say that air conditioning is included or that air conditioning is provided. And I'll more than make up the two or $300 difference on a window unit or two in not only the rent, but the tenant quality that I'll be able to garner because my rental listings say that I have air conditioning. I'm under contract for an eight unit property right now where tenants are required to bring in their own air conditioners and that's going to be one of the first things that we switch while we're on this topic actually we are pricing out taking the electric baseboard heaters that work on a rotary dial thermostat with no numbers and adding thermostats that are actually temperature controlled you set the temp and then it instructs the heater to achieve that temperature across the room and then shut off to be more comfortable for tenants who want to have more control over their heat that they're paying for. And also, we're going to immediately start providing window units. And our rental listings will say that air conditioning is provided, tenant paid, but provided. And that will increase the quality of the prospective tenants that we receive. It'll also increase the rent that we're able to garner. I don't have a specific dollar amount 
because we're not going to give the option of going either way and doing like a rent increase. It's just going to be air conditioning as provided. Last point is pets. As a landlord, I am pro-pet with pet rent. In large part because a lot of the nicer neighborhoods in Cincinnati, the A and B class areas, you should expect that a majority of the qualified prospective tenants are going to have some sort of pet animal that they want to have with them, especially if you are in an area that attracts young professionals. I'm pro-pet with pet rent for a couple of reasons. One of them is that a pet rent, it's exactly that, it's rent. That means it's revenue. It is not an amount of money that is expected to be returned to the tenant if there are no damages at the end of the lease, the way that an additional pet deposit would be. Also, check with your attorney, but I have had attorneys tell me in Ohio that an upfront pet fee can sometimes be determined to be a deposit that would have to be returnable to the tenant. You have to be careful about how that's written into your lease. But pet rent on aggregate, and for those of you, especially if you have one to four units and you've had a bad experience with a dog or a cat damaging your apartment or peeing all over the carpets, you're not feeling it yet, but over time, if you figure out pet rent, the revenue will drastically outpace the expense. You'll have those pets, you'll have that dog that scratches everything up, eats your baseboards and the trim around the door whenever the owner leaves. You'll have the cat that you'll never be able to find all the poop until after everybody's gone and you ripped up the carpets. But on the whole, when you look at the revenue generated by accepting pets, and frankly, especially in a lot of neighborhoods, there are very high quality prospective tenants who only consider places that allow pets. So you're increasing the quality of your prospective tenant base by also increasing the revenue that you're generating by accepting pets. So those are the five questions you need to know that your prospective tenants are asking. Where are they gonna park? How will they do laundry? Who's paying for heat? How is it cooled? And can I have pets? So I'd like to transition this conversation into just question and answer whatever you guys have when it comes to property management situations that you guys are dealing with right now we only have one mic so I'll, I'll try to repeat your questions for the sake of the conversation but let's not limit this to me being the ultimate expert answer giver because there are a lot of people in this room who manage their own rentals who are facing some of the same situations and have good solutions for them. Before I get started though, this is a topic that some people feel nervous or fearful in sharing about. So question, who here has kids? If you have kids, then you have been smacked in the face by a baby, correct? <laughs> Everyone here, no? Yeah, I was gonna say, Karen, that doesn't fly. You've been smacked in the face by a baby. It didn't hurt. But the first time it happens, it definitely surprises you, right? You guys will see where I'm going with this. How many of you have been hit in the face by a toddler? My hand's going to stay up for a while. What about a preschool or early childhood? Have any of them ever socked you good in the mouth? My four-year-old's still a four-year-old, so I can only say that a four-year-old has socked me in the mouth. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR 
with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you a real estate investor struggling to streamline your property management? Are you tired of juggling multiple systems to effectively manage your portfolio? Meet Rentec Direct, your ultimate solution for automating management tasks, reducing errors, and most importantly, saving you time. Rentec Direct offers an all-in-one platform for accounting, marketing, tenant screening, rent collection, and much more. And the best part? You're never alone. With U.S.-based live support and award-winning customer service, Rentec Direct is the partner you need to streamline your property management so you can focus on what's most important, growing your business and getting more deals done. If you're an investor looking to grow your portfolio, join the more than 15,000 investors and landlords who manage real estate assets totaling more than $200 billion using Rentec Direct. Just go to rentecdirect.com forward slash best ever and sign up for a free trial. Plans start at just $45 a month and you'll receive 20% off your first year just for being a best ever listener. That's R-E-N-T-E-C direct.com forward slash best ever for 20% off. Transitioning the questions here, athletes in the room play sports. How many of those were contact sports? I was a rugby guy primarily by the time I got to college and then afterwards, definitely full contact. I enjoyed coaching. I was one of the tackling coaches. I told 14-year-olds that if they could tackle me, they could tackle anybody they'd see on a high school rugby pitch, and I was right. Question, anybody here into combat sports? The reason why I'm asking all of this is that the issues that come up in property management often fall somewhere along that spectrum of being smacked in the face by a baby. It's a surprise, and it alerts you to a situation, but no actual damage was done. And as those situations escalate, they can become more and more problematic. I would like to think now that I am like a rugby coach of property management where I've dealt with a lot of those things. And not at the combat sports level. I haven't solved every problem that there is in residential property management. I don't know that anyone has or ever will. But I'm saying all of this to say that based on where you are, in your child raising or in your sports journey, your questions are valid. Your concerns are valid. Anyone who has raised a high schooler, has raised a tween, has raised a toddler, has raised a baby, the same thing with property management. So with that, does anybody have anything they want to share? Concerns, questions, things that they're working on. The question is about pets and pet rent when it comes to emotional support animals. I am not a real estate attorney, but I've gone down this road quite a few times. There's only been one circumstance in which I had a tenant who had two dogs who was paying pet rent for those dogs who then got them registered as emotional support animals. 
However, there were also some traumatic experiences that happened with that tenant while she was living there. So we understood and we just removed the pet fees from her lease moving forward. We're not allowed to discriminate based on medical devices and an emotional support animal. And there are other kinds of support animals that are not just that. They are deemed legally to be medical devices. So in the court's eye, it's like saying that your tenant can't have their ventilator. That's a good point, though, that accepting pets with pet rent, in part, it's about generating as many quality prospective tenants as possible. So I would focus, one, on putting yourself in a position to have the highest quality, largest prospective tenant pool that you can so that you have as many qualified applicants or prospective tenants to choose from. That's not me saying steer away from emotional support animals. We typically allow it. We do ask for the certification. We do at least attempt to reach out to whichever medical professional gave the certification. The other point I will make is that we explain to everyone with an emotional support animal that their animal has to behave like a medical device and not like a pet. If we start getting noise complaints from tenants, about your medical device, that medical device is a pet, and we're backdating your pet rent to the beginning of your lease. I have yet to actually have an issue with a tenant who had an emotional support animal that was problematic. So I have no qualms, concerns with prospective tenants or with current tenants having an ESA. My experience has been that all of them have been well-behaved. We also explain up front that your medical device needs to behave like a medical device. The question is about when a tenant or a former tenant has to be billed for repairs. The tenant caused damages to the property. I'm coming up on this right now. I'll tell that story in a minute, but let's answer the question first. Is there a legally required procedure for documenting the damages? So again, I'm not a real estate attorney, but the times that I've come across this in a potential eviction or involved an attorney, the word damages is key because in the eyes of the court, all damages are effectively monetary. So it's a question of how much damages in the form of money was caused by the tenant. If you're talking about a tenant who just moved out, then hopefully you're holding a security deposit. If not, you've got the deposit insurance. I've had good experiences with that, by the way. Deposit insurance is a different thing, but we can talk about that if you want. If it's not covered by the deposit, then we can talk about it. But with regards to documentation, I don't know exactly what's legally required, but we have our contractors submit invoices. We do before and after photos whenever possible. We also have the apartment inspection that's going to have the before photos, but the contractor is taking before and after photos of their work as well. That's a good question. We itemize to the invoice when we apply it to the tenant's ledger balance, and then we provide the invoice to anyone who wants to see it, and then we leave it at that. We have the photos, we'll share the photos, but we itemize to the level of the invoice, if that makes sense. It's now required that it be offered by any operator of residences or apartments in the city of Cincinnati who manages or owns over 25 units. The company we have experience with is called Rhino Insurance. And the idea is that instead of paying a security deposit up front, a tenant gets an insurance policy 
that does what the security deposit is designed to do. It ensures the enforcement of the tenant's party to the lease. So what that has looked like in our case is main reason tenants do it is because the first month's premium is significantly less than a security deposit. And they make monthly premium payments for a year. After one year, they have paid more than the security deposit would have been. In the event that there are damages, unpaid rent, repairs required to the property, you have to submit the ledger to the tenant to be repaid. After you do that and it goes unresponsive, you don't necessarily have to go to court, I believe, but you can file a claim against that deposit insurance policy to be paid out to you instead of going after the tenant and then the the insurance company will settle with the tenant outside of your dealings. And I've had apartments that rented for seven and eight hundred dollars where the insurance company paid out thirty five hundred dollars in back owed rent and repairs. So my experience has been positive. The only reason I think a tenant would do it is because they can't come up with a security deposit up front because they don't get that insurance money back if they move out and there weren't any issues. The question was, can you offer deposit insurance if your portfolio is smaller than what the city of Cincinnati requires? It doesn't matter how many units you have. I will say the company I have experience with is Rhino Insurance, not a sponsor of this meetup or the podcast, but I would look up Rhino Insurance to get more information on how that works. I will just say that we played it by the book. We had the tenants applications still on file and Rhino paid out. Every time that we filed a claim, Rhino has paid the way that they said they would, which is only a handful of times. So the question is, from the landlord's perspective, if you are generating revenue outside of rental income directly for the lease of each residence, things like coin laundry, I don't know that you said that, but paying for covered parking, internet plans, other amenities, things like that, is it fair or appropriate for the property manager to be collecting on that based on their management agreement. Responding as a third-party property manager, my immediate question is, who is administering those things? So who's collecting the rent? Who is receiving the issues, the concerns whenever a problem arises? Is the property management company involved in the administration of that service or that amenity that is generating the revenue? If so, then I would say yes. And if not, I would say no. So let me use Coin Laundry as an example, because I manage properties where both the company formerly known as Cincinnati Coin has their washing machines in the buildings. They maintain it. Tenants have to call Cincinnati Coin if they have an issue. And Cincinnati Coin deposits directly to the landlord's bank account and reports directly to the landlord, sends out their bills directly to the landlord, explaining the money amounts, things like that. In that case, the property manager is not doing anything. I don't believe that they should be paid for it. I also have properties where I'm the property manager, a third party. It is landlord-owned coin laundry. So it is my team that is collecting and depositing the quarters. It's my team that receives the maintenance requests when there's an issue with the machine. And my team is the first responder, but often we have to find an appliance repair company. And then we're the ones who are reaching out to the appliance repair company to give them our diagnosis, get them out there, get it fixed, and then pay their invoice afterwards. And I absolutely charge. 
for that because that takes our time and our time and our expertise is what I'm building for. That seems to me like a fairly straightforward example of yes and no property manager fees. I think it's important to look at collections. That's one that a lot of people miss. Another thing that we do is a couple of points here. We ask for references and then we actually call them. Most people don't. So most people don't tell their references that they are a reference and sometimes it takes us a while to track those people down. So in order to remain competitive for quality tenants who are applying multiple places, we go ahead and approve people in advance pending the reference checks so that they know they're approved. We can move them forward through the process, figure out the move-in date, what's the prorated rent, get the lease set up while we're following up with references. The value in following up with references I've only ever had a reference tell me negative information about a prospective tenant that I didn't already know once. But those references, especially the personal reference, will trace back to the applicant and tell them that you called and that they gave a reference, which is a demonstration up front that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And it cements in the minds of our tenants that we do what we say we're going to do and that we come correct with regards to our lease agreements and our policies and regulations. My three references are current employer or supervisor, current or previous landlord they can pick, and personal reference. And typically, because I'm not requiring that it be the current landlord, they're not going to send me the contact info for the landlord who's going to say bad things about them. But at the same time, my personal portfolio is large enough that I can mitigate the risk of a problematic tenant because I called the wrong landlord. That's going to happen so infrequently that it's not as big of a concern for me anymore. The primary thing is we call references, the references tell the applicant that we called, as the applicant knows that we know our stuff and we do what we say we're going to do. Best ever listeners, thank you for tuning in to Cincinnati's Best Ever Real Estate Investor Mastermind for the month of November 2023. If you gain value from this presentation, conversation on property management, please do subscribe to our show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.